Welcome to Loose Leaf Tea and You, a podcast designed to invite people into conversation that cultivates community response. I'm Kennedy Kreider, and I would love to invite you to put the kettle on, pour yourself a cup of tea, and participate alongside me in difficult topics, playful banter, and hopeful conversation. This week, you get to listen to an interview with my dear friends Haley Hayes and John Smith, who are both senior biology majors on the Hill. We talked about lots of things like science, COVID, and what it's like to be a senior on the Hill. I asked them to share some parting wisdom, and I would like to do the same. I'm going to read an excerpt from my favorite book, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. She went out and took a long last look at the shabby little library. She knew she would never see it again. Eyes changed after they looked at new things. If in the years to be, she were to come back, her new eyes might make everything seem different from the way she saw it now. The way it was now was the way she wanted to remember it. As a lot of us have our last week on the hill at Trebekka, I want to encourage you to savor everything and take that last look. I'm really grateful to have had this opportunity and avenue to let various voices be heard. And as I am graduating, this will probably be This will probably be the last time you'll be hearing from me, but I just wanted to thank everybody who's listened, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. So Haley and John, thank you so much for being on the podcast this morning. To start off, we always ask our guests, what tea are you drinking, both literally and metaphorically? So whoever wants to start. Haley, I think you should start. Well, I personally am not a tea drinker, so Kennedy has provided me with a cup of hot water with nothing in it other than water. (laughs) So that's what I'm drinking today. I don't have any, I don't know if I have any metaphorical tea. It's really just like what's giving you life these days, what's warming you up in this cold, cold weather we have been having. Well, we only have, what, two and a half weeks until graduation. (laughs) yeah so that's getting you through knowing we're so close to the end yeah relatable (laughs) what about you john um i'm drinking apple cinnamon spice tea because that's the bomb and then if i had tea warming me up um i don't know i'm reading this pretty sick nasty book about post-colonialism and uh, I'm a huge nerd, so I think that's uh, been warming me up lately. Love that. I'm drinking throat coat. I don't know why I like that one so much. It's not like my throat is hurting. I just like the taste <laughs> of it. <laughs> COVID warning, my throat is not hurting. Yeah, so I am so glad to have you both on. Um, Haley was my first sweet mate here my freshman year at Chirica, and now John, we live in the same house off campus, so it's like my first and last roommate um, here at Chirica, together with me, um, probably what's going to be our last podcast, or my last podcast, so um, that's super sweet for me. Um, for this episode, um, I'm hoping to give you guys a chance to leave your senior wisdom uh, at Rebecca and all of your very wise insights and all of that. So we'll get into that. But if you want to go ahead and tell the guests who you are, how we know each other, what you're doing now on campus, and any roles you've had 
throughout your time here. So like Kennedy said, we were sweet mates freshman year. I think we met through the Facebook yes. page, yeah. the Trebekah Facebook page, where all the freshmen try to find themselves a roommate. I am a biology and psychology major at Trebekah. I am originally from Cincinnati, Ohio, but I'm now here in Nashville, but I'm leaving as soon as we graduate. Um, I also work with Kennedy at Kid Power. Mm-hmm. So we are, we went from sweet mates to co-workers. Yep. I, okay, I, while at Trebekah, I have, I guess done a few things. I did, I was a peer mentor for two years and that was a good experience. And I didn't, haven't really done anything my senior year other than I am part of the, um, group or committee that started the American Medical Women's Association mm-hmm. at Trevecca, the Trevecca chapter of that. So that has been kind of what I've been doing for the last year or so since COVID happened. Yeah, that's super cool. Um, I'm a senior biology major, religion minor. Let's see, all lots of things I've done here. So um, I've been a peer mentor for the past three years. I have been a writing tutor for two of my years at Trebekah, non-consecutively, um, my sophomore year and this year. Um, I've been a COVID health screener for the past school year. And then my favorite job is being a biology teaching assistant, which I have done for the past two years for biology two and microbiology. And so if you couldn't figure it out, they know each other through being biology majors. Oh, and I know Kennedy, um, I, we didn't really know, like, I knew of her freshman year, but I, like, didn't, I, we weren't really friends, and then I kind of just knew her from a distance, and I was like, yeah, my SGA person, that's cool, um, and then this year, she moved into my house, and I thought, hmm, she could be neat, or this could be really scary, I don't know her very well, and she's just fit right in, and she's just such, she's been such a wonderful addition to our house, and I love living with Kennedy. Adorable. (laughs) All the feels. So I sent you guys a list of like overview questions about what I might want to talk about today. So one of those things is, as you mentioned, I was on SGA back in the day and I just found we would plan events and we would try to get people involved. And there was just always, I feel like a gap between some of the majors. Like we just could not get them to come to events no matter what. And so I would love to just hear about your experience with being a science major, what that means on campus, and maybe how we can get them more involved, or maybe like not more involved, but, you know, reach out to them in what they would like to do and support them how they would like to be supported. So I'm very interested to see if John and I agree on some of these things. So I think I can think of two main reasons as to why like me and my group of friends didn't really participate in things. One, because we spent a lot of our time studying and like preparing for tests and preparing for class and doing labs and not to discount any other major, but some majors you just don't have to spend as much time. That's valid. Yeah. So we had to spend so much more of our time studying and doing things for classes Whereas another major may not have to spend as much time. So therefore they 
are more free to socialize. Yeah. That's what's do you have any thoughts? And then I'll share my more controversial thoughts. No, I agree 100%. I think um, science majors more than any other major, maybe except for like history, but even then we have to apply it differently. Um, we have to know the most stuff. And because we have labs, we have additional things that we have to prepare for that other students don't have. I know like my freshman year, I was convinced, I was like, you know, I'm here to get this degree. And so it's not my job to like make a bunch of friends and go to all these events. And so for my first semester of college, I was painfully introverted, like not in a healthy way at all. And it wasn't until second semester that I realized, no, I can branch out and I need people. But having done all these classes in religion as well, I think that we as science majors, the sheer quantity of the things that we have to know is greater. And I think the ways that we have to apply it are immediately practical, which is unlike any other major. Um, in theology classes, you can sit around and talk about Augustine all day. But ultimately, I think, and maybe this is a fault of our religion department, I don't think there's an emphasis on praxis like there should be. Um, whereas in science, just right out the gate, you were doing labs, you were doing the things that you're learning about. And so there has to be an exorbitant amount of time devoted to that. And so it was like, well, do I go to this event at the National Zoo or do I get a good grade on my test? And you have to make that choice. And more often than not, academics wins. Yeah, I think that in addition, a lot of science majors are planning to go on to further schooling where your GPA is very important in getting in as well as a score that you get on this huge test that you have to take. And for PA school, there's a test. Med school, you have to take the MCAT. So there's these other big tests that you're studying, preparing for, for your, basically your whole college career on top of just learning the material right now. And you have to, the, the, the saying C's get degrees doesn't really go for a science major who wants to go to further schooling. Most definitely not. Like, I think like I, I'm going to seminary in August and I did not have to take a test in order to qualify. There was not some rigorous process. Basically everyone I've talked to who's going there is getting a pretty nice scholarship, even if their GPA sucked. So like, I, yeah, science has to be more rigorous because you are definitely going to go into that further education where they're going to hold you to a ridiculous standard. Yeah. And in contrast, I applied to medical school where my very high GPA and relatively moderate MCAT score did not get me accepted, let alone get me any scholarships. So there's a big difference between majors. I also, I have another reason why I never attended events, (laughs) which it was, especially during my freshman year at Trevecca, I felt as though there was a very strong air of, I'm a better Christian than you. And I worship the Lord more than you do. I read my Bible more than you do. From like SGA members? Kind of just like a lot, just a lot of people at Trebekka, some SGA major or SGA members, some just like other people of other majors or people that were involved in chapel or Mm -hmm. things like that. Like, well, I go to every single chapel and I pray eight times an hour. So (laughs) therefore 
I'm a better Christian than you. And you're studying science, which makes you not as good of a Christian because you're not, you're not going to be a pastor. You're not going to, you're not going into worship arts. Therefore, like you're, you're less than we are. And I got that vibe my freshman year. And I definitely, I don't feel like there's that vibe anymore, but that's why like freshman and sophomore year, I was like, I don't necessarily want to participate. I'd rather like spend time with the people that understand the things that I'm going through versus people who are going to make me feel bad about studying science and evolution. Wow. Yeah, I think, um, I don't know if I ever got that vibe from SGA, but I think as a freshman, there were definitely some upperclassmen that I felt acted that way. And then being in and among the religion majors, I think that, I mean, that's, that's like a trope in the religion department is like, you're going to be that religion major. And so I think that that can definitely be a tendency and I will not name any of them, but I can definitely think of some religion majors that often they fit that perspective and even look down on some other religion majors for not being Christian enough by their standard. Well, yeah, like hearing y'all talk about that, like I remember when I was a worship arts major my freshman and sophomore year, and even in like some of the religion classes, like if I didn't know what eschatology meant and I didn't know all the lingo, like, I felt like a bad Christian, like just cause I didn't know all those things. So yeah, I, I felt that even as like kind of a religion major as well. Hmm. Interesting. So um, I hear y'all talk a lot about, and not even just in this conversation about lab. And I honestly have no idea what that is. <laughs> and I would love for you to tell me what that is. Cause I feel like I'm not in the inside joke and I mean, I figure it's just y'all like doing labs, but like, why is that more work? Or like, what is that? I think it depends. And I think you, John, can talk more about like setting up and like preparing for labs, whereas I've just done them. But labs are a two, is it two and a half hour? About, yeah. Period. So it's longer than like a regular class time. And it's a two and a half hour period where you have to, depending on the class, you have to prepare for what you're going to do. So if you're in like a chemistry lab, you have to look at the procedure and then write down the procedure that you're going to follow. So you have to do that before you even get to lab, you have to know what you're going to do. You get to lab and spend two, two and a half hours ish doing the lab and then afterwards you have to either do some sort of like post lab so write a lab report or answer questions about the lab and the results you got so it's just a very time consuming task because it's on top of your already monday wednesday friday like regular 50 minute class period and then additionally on tuesday or thursday you have to do this two hour lab like every week mm -hmm. oh <laughs> Wow. Is that like a separate class or like a part of like one of your classes? It's a part of the, like, if I'm taking organic chemistry, I have class three days a week and then lab a fourth day. Oh. So our classes are technically four credit hour classes much of the time. 
which <laughs> takes up so much more time. Yeah. I think from the perspective of someone who has set up a lot of labs, um, yeah, it's so much work. I, I love my job of being a TA. And I think a lot of times people don't understand how much work goes into that. And TAs from other departments literally just grade things. And I have to culture bacteria. I have to keep specimens alive. I have to prepare um, like pre-dissected specimens for students to look at and be like, am I doing the right thing? It's super time consuming. And because every single lab, you know, for every class is something entirely different. Um, because in every lab, you're, you're gaining the skills that you're going to need once you get into graduate school. So for like organic chemistry, that looks like assembling a bunch of glassware, mixing things, pouring things, sometimes painstakingly waiting for one tiny drop of pink liquid to land in your beaker to make stuff change colors. I mean, it's, but then like in biology, sometimes you're just cutting stuff open. Sometimes you're also mixing things. I, so in science, you have to practically apply everything that you're learning every week. Um, there is no, I didn't really understand it. So it's okay. Well, I'll just move on and it'll be okay that I have a deficiency in this area. You're not allowed to have deficiencies in any area because you are going to learn about it in lecture and then have to do it in lab. And so it's super high pressure. Um, and then you also have to know and understand that information to apply it in a later class. Yeah. Every class will build on previous ones. I've been so surprised in molecular biology, just how many things I actually know because I really worked hard in those early classes and can now apply that information. So do you think, do you think other majors should like be held to a higher standard or is that just like a different culture? I mean, I think we could all strive a little better for academic excellence, but like, yeah, like you've taken a few religion courses and like the emphasis on like, you're going to need to learn this to build upon whatever isn't even there. Like half the time, they don't even make us take classes in the right order and people are jumping around. Oh no, I, I, I mean, as a non-religion major, I got exceptions all the time. So like I took a like, what was it? Gender in the Bible, I think is a 4,000 level Bible course. I took that before I ever took biblical exegesis. <laughs> like, um, I know there was a sophomore in our holiness class this past semester and they hadn't even taken systematic theology. Like yeah. there is not an attention to detail, I think in a lot of other departments and like that close monitoring of, are you doing things in the right order? Are you on track to graduate on time to have the skills that you need? I don't think that that's as present in other disciplines. I would not say that they necessarily like for certain majors, like need to be held to like the same standard, I guess, because again, I don't think they have to know factually as many things as we do. Um, but like for a religion major, the work is different. The work is reading books and writing papers, whereas we don't read very many books other than textbooks. And we don't really write papers that aren't based like on labs. Mm -hmm. um, and the only times we did, I mean, that was kind of what the intention of the class was in our seminar classes was to learn how to write scientifically. So I, I don't know if you could say that they need to be held at the same standard necessarily because their methodology is entirely different. And I feel that even 
with like, I took physiological psych my sophomore year for fun. For, again, a 4,000 level psych class. They just let me in there. And I excelled, I did fine. Um, but I remember thinking, like I was in neuroscience at the same time. And I remember thinking, this feels like the dumbed down version of neuroscience. Mm-hmm. And I was like, if this is what other majors are like, I, I'm going to sound really arrogant here, but I really think like I could have easily gotten a 4.0 in some mm-hmm. other major. Yeah. That's, I said, I, because I am a biology and a psychology major. So I've had to do the same workload mm-hmm. as people who are just a psychology major on top of all of these sciences. And if I was just a psychology major, I would be on the, what is it? The magnum. The summa cum laude. Is yeah, that one. Like <laughs> I have a 4.0 in my psychology major, mm-hmm. but my science classes are more difficult. Yeah. And as someone who has taken both, I can safely say the science classes are more, are more difficult. And I think everyone does have to take like either life science or issues in science. Mm-hmm. And if you think about like how much you hear people complain and struggle in those classes. Those are, that's as kind of what John said, those are the dumbed down version of what we do every semester. So I think a lot of people don't understand the sciences and this, like what science majors do. So there's almost like a lack of respect for like, I have friends that are religion majors and I could never write a 10 page paper. Can't imagine doing it. But people, I don't think that people have the same respect for a science major as they do for like another difficult major. And that's not to say that like we, like our work is superior, our work is better, Mm -hmm. but it is in a very, it's of a very different nature. Mm -hmm. And I agree. I don't think that, I don't think that there is that level of respect for science Mm -hmm. majors that's present for other majors. Yeah. So like actually a BS and a BA are very different. (laughs) So this past year, depending on your opinion, um, whether you like it or not, we have had to look to science people to get us through this very difficult time in our world. (laughs) And yeah, so people have differing opinions about that, but I think you guys um, have been in the forefront and a lot of us, whether you like it or not, have had to rely on the work of science people and our privilege to have vaccines made by science people so yeah what are your opinions about Trevecca's COVID guidelines and just generally I mean I guess retrospectively um we could say a lot of things about the world and all the things but I'd love to hear your perspective about it I think it's a lot of people have had to learn what scientists do and I think a lot of people have I know with all of the like especially at the beginning all the misinformation and like the articles that were contradicting each other and flatten the curve yeah like people a lot of just like the general public didn't know or understand how to read and evaluate scientific literature yeah and so they saw it as well the cdc just keeps changing their mind on like what we should do yeah but they're not just changing their mind because they feel like it's based on evidence and i think 
the general public doesn't generally know how to look at scientific literature. And so that was, I think, a struggle between like the people learning and researching the virus versus the people getting the information. Yeah, I think like in our postmodern world of thought, you can have, everyone's like, you can have whatever opinion you want. Like there are many right answers, many ways. And science really isn't like that. And so how, how do you find it's a challenge to be a scientist in the world of postmodernity? I think something that makes it particularly difficult is that science is a discipline of harmony. You have all of these people all over the world working on projects that are similar. And then once they've completed those projects, they submit their manuscripts. And then those manuscripts have to be peer reviewed. And so the entire scientific community gets a say when somebody publishes a scientific work. Uh, and so in the face of postmodern thought of everyone can be right in their own individual conception of truth, I think that strongly clashes with science, which says, no, we're going to reach a consensus before we say that something is true. I think with COVID, it's been particularly evident that that is the case. When we have little information, we say one thing. And then when we gained more information to confirm or refute it, we say something different. And so we're working off of how many, how, or how much information do we actually have to operate on? Yeah, that's what I think. So, yeah, what are your opinions about Trebekah's guidelines? Do you think they've done well with taking new information as they receive it? And then in like implementing those guidelines protected the students? I think that we've, we've done okay. I think at the beginning, it was definitely a lot trickier, um, particularly, I think, because you have upperclassmen who know what they're losing if they don't get to stay on campus, whereas the freshmen, you know, they, they don't know what they have to lose, I think, in a, lot of, in a lot of ways. And so you have a lot of the underclassmen not acting as responsibly, a lot of even upperclassmen not acting responsibly. <laughs> yep. And so I don't know necessarily if I think Trebekah did a good job of like enforcing those guidelines, but I think the guidelines were created as well as they could have been other outside of like fining people for breaking those violations, because I don't think there was a good follow-up system if someone was reported of breaking those mm -hmm. guidelines. I think we could have fined people. And honestly, if the school was so strapped for cash, like they kept saying they were, it would have made a lot of sense for them to have fined people for this. I don't think we're in deep waters. They say we are. That's funny. We just got a million dollars, so we should be okay. <sighs> yeah. I think, I think Trebekah did a good job of giving like pretty clear outlines. However, I don't think they did a great job of enforcing. And I don't think that the like faculty and staff and administration as a whole did a very good job of enforcing. I have seen, not to call anyone out, but I'm calling them out. I've seen a lot of athletes walk around like inside the cafeteria with no mask on. I've seen people like in big groups eating, like pulling up chairs at a table. And so obviously they have like the limit at a table, but that's not really stopping anyone. Mm -hmm. And I think there, if at the beginning, 
like these things would have been enforced, then it like as time has progressed, like it could be a little more relaxed and people would still kind of follow the guidelines. But I think they were, it was never enforced. There was never a punishment. So like, why, why, like, why should I follow the rules if nothing's going to happen? Yeah, that's true. I feel like all of us lay people in the science world, (laughs) we get our information from social media sites usually, and we don't know anything about the vaccines. So please tell us all we need to know about the vaccines, all that you know about the vaccines, and maybe uh, we can teach some people some science (laughs) today. Um, Okay, so the first two vaccines to come out were from Moderna and Pfizer. They function basically the same way. Um, So those are mRNA vaccines. That's a revolutionary kind of technology that we've never used before. However, that doesn't mean that it was developed quickly. Yes. Uh, The central dogma in biology is you go from DNA to RNA to proteins. Um, And so basically what they're doing is they're taking that middleman between DNA and and proteins. And so they're using the virus's RNA to allow your DNA to produce the antibodies necessary in order to fight against COVID. Um, And it does so by allowing you to produce the proteins that are on the outside of the virus's exterior that the virus uses to bind your cells. And so in doing so, your body will recognize the virus when it encounters it and be able to more effectively fight it. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine does not work that way. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine uses an adenovirus, uh, which is the particular species that they're using has been proven not to be problematic in human beings. And they've altered that virus's genome so that it also produces those proteins, but will not give you adverse health effects specifically related to COVID or COVID's normal effects. And so then that way your body recognizes the virus. And then there are a few others, but if I'm being completely honest, I don't find them that impressive. AstraZeneca had really shady numbers when they reported and which is why most of Europe as well as the United States has not approved it. And then Novavax is literally just pumping you with the proteins from the virus. And I just, I don't think that that's a good delivery system, but that's me. Yeah. So basically when your body sees those foreign proteins, it knows to attack it. So by, you're not actually having the virus injected into you, you're having parts of it injected so that your body recognizes those parts and fights against them. So then later when it sees it again, it's already ready. So it's kind of like your basketball team is gonna practice so that when, when it's game day, they're ready to perform. I, we, the AMWA has posters up around campus about different misconceptions about the, or the vaccines, mm-hmm. such as the vaccines in no way alter or change your DNA. As John said, it goes DNA, RNA to protein. So it, it's not going backwards to change your DNA, which I think a lot of people have been worried about. You also are not being injected with the live virus. So you can't get COVID from getting the vaccine. So like all of the side effects that you're feeling are not, 
they're not COVID symptoms, they're symptoms of your immune system fighting off the, vir the viral particles in order to better prepare you for any future infection. So you get a fever because that's your body trying to, your immune system working to fight off and prepare for a future infection. Yeah, I mean, we were at Kib how we're talking about COVID late January, like sometime in February, maybe about COVID and in getting vaccines produced. And I remember you said it usually takes like about a year for trials and stuff. Um, so, I mean, that's that was before it even hit the U.S. really. Mm -hmm. And that seems like a timeline that has been time, time tested. Yeah. It doesn't really seem that unrealistic that we could have a vaccine so i i i am i mean i don't know could i say i'm friends with her i don't know i'm friends with dr brown i'm dr judy <laughs> brown virologist and <laughs> professor at trevecca university and in her bio 2 class that i ta'd for one of the things that we talked about is how for typically for a vaccine average time for testing is over the span of 20 years however that is the case because you have all of these steps that are necessary for vaccine approval being done one at a time. Mm -hmm. What we have with these vaccines is instead of taking a year to test a specific demographic and then the next year to do another demographic, we tested all the demographics at once. And because it was an emergency, animal trials and human trials were conducted at the same time. So Technically, it did occur faster, but that does not mean that we did not do our due diligence mm -hmm. to make sure that our normal testing procedures were carried out. All of the normal procedures were carried out, and the people for whom we were the most nervous, such as pregnant women and children, they were not included in those trials and are currently being involved in vaccine trials. Yeah, and I think the everyone was originally saying, oh, we'll have a vaccine by this summer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When really everything hit like mid-March, mm -hmm. we're not going to have a vaccine ready to distribute by June. Mm -hmm. um, one of the, in addition to some of the ways that they've sped it up, they also, because it's an emergency use like status, mm -hmm. um, typically you do all of your trials, you test it, you get approved, and then you produce the vaccine. But what they've done is they've done the trials and then while doing the trials and getting them approved, they've also been making, producing the vaccines. So as soon as it's um, been approved, they can, they already have the vaccines already produced and ready and they can start distributing them. So that has also attributed to like how it's been made a little faster. So it just shortens the timeline a little bit. Yeah, I think you were probably referring to like in other emergent situations or like whatever. Yeah. But yeah. Um, it's not going to take two months is the moral of the story. Yes. Yeah. But because I remember we were like, a year? That's so long. <laughs> it's been a long 12 months. <laughs> yep. Uh, so yeah. Anything else you want to say? As with the wise seniors you are, to Trevecca, anybody listening to this, um, what is the word of wisdom you want to leave to Trevecca? I've thought a lot about this, and I've seen 
Trevecca's, they have like senior insights on their Instagram. Yeah. And everyone says, get involved. Mm -hmm. And while I do agree with that, you should get involved. I think upperclassmen need to be more specific in rather than saying, get involved. Mm -hmm. Because if you get involved in everything, you're not yeah. going, you're not going to enjoy any of it because you're going to be so busy. So find the things you're passionate about and you care about and you want to get involved in and get involved in those things and make friends through those things. But don't feel like you have to join every single club, go to every single event, do like, get to know everyone on your hall. It's like you have to kind of pick and choose because it's finally a time in your life where someone's not telling you all the things that you have to do. So you're able to make those choices for yourself. So yes, you should get involved, but don't try to get involved in everything because then you'll end up miserable rather than actually enjoying college. Um, I think I have two. Um, the first one would be, yes, 100% get involved. My recommendation on involvement would be specifically to find the things that that you're passionate about, that you believe that you can be a leader in. I think um, I pretty much out the gate tried to establish myself as, I don't know, different. Better is not the right word, but I just wanted to distinguish myself from my peers in the biology department. And um, when the time came, I was like, okay, I'm gonna be an upperclassman. I wanna be a teaching assistant. I just flat out asked. I was like, this is my academic performance. This is, you know? And so I think I, sh I could do this. And they were like, yeah, that was like some strong initiative. This is something that we would love to have you be a part of. And so I think finding, finding the areas where you excel and then asking, can I be a leader in this position? Am I going to be able to effectively teach, tutor, um, if you're in a club, is that the kind of club that you would want to be, uh, some kind of, I don't even know what would the word be like officer. Like if you want like, do I have what it takes? Do I have the interest in this enough to serve in that kind of a role? Um, and then I think the second one would be at a, at a small school like Trebecca, you have the opportunity to get to know your professors in ways that people at these big state schools don't have. Um, I can truly say that I'm leaving this university having not just mentors, but also friends in my professors. Um, and I mean, you have to, you know, you have to feel it out. Like some of them are far more apprehensive and want to keep things at a very strictly professional level. But um, when I knew I was going to do research with Dr. Ben George, I was like, I don't know if this is normal, but I don't want to do research with you if I don't know who you are as a person. So the summer before we started doing research, we met up at a coffee shop and his favorite coffee shop in his town and we got coffee and he told me his whole life story. And I, and then he was like, Hey, it's time for lunch. Do you want to go ahead and go get lunch? So then we also got lunch that same day. And I told him my whole life story and he is, he has been one of the most consistent and solid mentors and friends that I've had in college. And I really feel like I could tell him anything. Um, not only that, then we also did research together. And um, I think having that opportunity allows you not only to feel like, um, like you're seen and you're known, but also that you really have an important place in this community and that the people who are teaching you legitimately care about your well-being 
And I think all of our professors are like that, but I, I think sometimes that sense of professionalism can get in the way. And so you don't know how much they care for you or you think they're out to get you because their tests are hard. But yeah, I would say get to know your professors and definitely look to them, not just for knowledge in your discipline, but they really are there to help you and they want to get to know you. And they're also further along in their journey. So when you're panicking over getting a bad grade on a test, even if it's their test, they can look at you and say, this isn't the end of the world. This doesn't mean that you can't pursue the career that you want to pursue because they have so much more experience than the little freshman who's like, I just got a 75 on this exam. And they're, and your professors and the upperclassmen can say, that's okay, you'll survive, I've done worse. Yeah, if Dr. Stephanie Cawthorn had not told me that the world was not ending when I got a B in calculus, I would have dropped out of science. If Dr. Mendez had not sat with me for hours in her office after lab talking through why I can be a Christian and still accept the theory of evolution, I probably would have dropped out of science. Like, I, I am so grateful for the relationships that I have with professors at this school. Yeah, is there anything else you want to talk about today? Do you just want, like, tea on the science department? Ooh, we don't have to. Um, Dr. Reed is the gossip of the department. That is the one thing. If you had to know any tea about the science department, Dr. Reed, Dr. Reed spills all the tea at all times. He is so ridiculously nosy, and I've been nothing but grateful for it. He knows all of, about all the relationships. Every single one. He may not know your name or the other person's name, but he knows who they are. Oh, he does. 100%. Yeah. If you don't want someone to know something, don't tell Dr. Reed and don't tell Dr. Cabal. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Cabal. Yeah, no. She's she's nosy too. You gotta watch her. That's funny. Um, well, let's transition then into the rapid, rapid fire question portion. Um, I did not send you guys these questions. But if you've listened to any of the episodes, you know they're the same questions every week. So what is your favorite building on campus and why? I would say, oh dear, um, I would probably say Great House. And it's because I think I've gotten to do some of the coolest things in my life in that building. Yeah, I think I would also say Great House partially because like it's kind of run down. It's like the only building that hasn't been renovated, but like it's our building. We have the colorful dots on the floor. Yes. Like, and it's somewhere where everyone there is just there to study and learn and try. And like, you can go there late at night and stay there until security kicks you out, just studying with a group of people in your class. So yeah, I'm great house. Not many buildings you can do that in. Yeah. <laughs> um, if this week was a candle scent, what candle scent would it be? I'd have to say a fall candle scent, like pumpkin spice, cinnamon, something or other, because it's been cold. Yes. It's I, been like 50 degrees. I think this week, this week has actually been weirdly calming and um non-stressful and so I would say it smells like the sanctuary candle from Altered State which is my favorite <laughs> candle scent. So specific. Yes. Um, love it. 
Um, what is your go-to song to sing in the shower? If you can't narrow it down to one, just give me the hits. If I'm being honest, right, it, uh, it changes like literally every week. But right now my, my jam is um, When He Sees Me by Sarah Borelli <laughs> yes! from, from Waitress. That's my favorite song. Um, I, ooh, I cannot get over that one. That's my song. We're right gonna now. have to do it sometime. <laughs> that triggered, I was like, I don't really know. Like I don't really have a song, but um, she used to be mine. Oh, oh yes! yes! Oh, so good. We need to bootleg watch Waitress. I've never actually seen it. I only know that song because I saw it in a TikTok the other day. And I was like, that's really good. And then I looked up her version and I was like, wow, it's fantastic. Oh, also, when life just really sucks and it's that kind of shower, the tr I think it's called The Truth I'm Standing On. So good. Okay. 10 out of 10. Okay. Okay, so... I said my funny bone. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so really funny. Uh, no, for it's me. Funny for us. Um, this podcast, when we when we made it, we wanted it to be centered around giving people practical advice and practical tools to go and then do something with the information and conversations we were having. Um, so a question we always ask in kind of regard to activism, but it really could be anything. Like when is the moment, it could be like when you knew you wanted to be a science in the sciences or um, anything about your life. Really. I don't know if this is answering the question, but we're gonna go with it. So one of my favorite I guess quotes, pieces of advice, whatever has been, don't quit on a bad day. So there have been so many times throughout the past four years where I was like, I don't want to be a doctor. Like, well, I'll, I'll go into something else. Like I'll be a like accountant or work in HR or be a children's pastor. Like this is too hard, mm -hmm. but I always have to remind myself like, it's just a bad day. So you can't, if you want to quit something, you can't quit it on a bad day. You have to wait for a good day. And if it's still not what you want to do, then it's not the right path for you. But you gotta, you can't quit on a bad day. Me, I can't power. <laughs> there have been so many times I was ready to quit. But then I have a day like yesterday when one of the kids gave me a huge hug and said, you're the best. And I said, this is why. This is why I do this. Yeah. And I could I can't quit after that. When they give you a little weed flower. <laughs> little dandelion. Little dandelion. <laughs> I think this for you. <laughs> oh gosh. I think for me, um, so so I'm not going into science. Um, I've gotten this biology degree and I'm <laughs> trucking on to seminary. But I so I, I came into I came into I'll just get real honest for a second. I came into Trebekah doing science because I was convinced that I couldn't be gay and um, do religion or be a pastor. And so I suppressed all of that. And I said, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I have to do. Because um, this is lucrative and no one's going to care who I love here. Um, but then the further in I got and the more I felt God was continuing to call me, like you have, you have to go into ministry. I called you into ministry in the eighth grade and this is what you have to do. Um, 
and the, the tipping point came in my church history class last semester um, when I recognized that I'm a part of a larger tradition that has said a lot of things at a lot of different times and there's a place for everyone in this tradition. Um, and so I just knew at that point, I, I was like, okay, I've, I've got to follow this. And so I don't, I don't regret majoring in science at all. I, this has been such a good experience and I, it definitely has influenced the way that I view theology. And I think it's grounded me. It's caused me to look for a variety of voices when I'm seeking out what is true as opposed to just one dominant voice. And I think what I, what I mentioned earlier, the way that science seeks to harmonize voices, I think has, that has so greatly informed the way that I understand the work of theology and also the praxis that comes out of that and how if I'm not doing theology that doesn't legitimately benefit everyone, then I don't know if that's a theology that I should be doing. And I have to listen to those voices to know if that's the case or not. Wow, that's good. <laughs> so for someone listening to this episode, what would you hope their response would be? Find a science major. Maybe they're in the library. Maybe they're in Great House. And maybe like ask them some questions, get to know, like, get to know them, get to know the work that they've put in because not a lot of people like care to know or find out. And there's some pretty cool people in the, the science department. So even if you're not a science major, you can still tell Dr. Reed all the gossip. He also plays intramurals. So like he's around. So yeah, it seems like a very scary, like, click group, but we're not all bad. <laughs> I think, um, I would say, and this is maybe just because I, I am a really big nerd, um, I would ask a science major, what are they, like, just, what are they learning about right now? What's something, what's the coolest science thing that they've learned right now? Because half the time, like, being in religion classes, like, and being on a Christian campus, everybody loves Jesus, right? Everybody wants to talk about theology and the hot button issues, but nobody cares about gene expression and like ecological, like, no, nobody cares about that. Mm -hmm. And so when you, when you ask us about that, I think it, I don't know, it's like, it validates. You feel the, seen. You feel seen, like what I am doing matters. The work that I'm doing matters. Um, and even if you don't understand we will be so grateful that someone <laughs> asked about our discipline. Um, and we would love to explain it to you, however that needs to be done so that you can understand. Like before we started recording, these two were talking, I don't know if you were talking about homework or something, but it was like <laughs> a bunch of words I didn't know. And I was like, huh, <laughs> what are they talking about? So yeah, maybe you can explain that to me after we <laughs> finish recording. Um, thank you again so much for being here. I'm so glad we could do this. And this is probably going to be my last podcast. So I'm glad it's with you too. Aww, thanks, Ken.